I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. Uh, This week I am talking to Christy Booth from Cape Girardeau, who is a person in recovery and has recently uh, become, I guess you would say, pretty invested in a harm reduction movement. Yes, yes. I've made the paradigm shift. I get it. So how did that come about? Uh, I went to the Drug Policy Alliance, the International Drug Policy Alliance uh, Reform Conference, and that was provided through MoNet. They had scholarships, and I applied and was able to get it because I think it was like $650. Like, there's no way I could have went to that. Right. But it was amazing. Like, yeah, it was, I mean, I don't know. It was pretty cool. So, and you're just coming into this. Yes. So, um, I mean, I, I, the harm reduction of, you know, Narcan and um, uh, safe syringe access and stuff, I've, I've been on board for quite some time. But uh, the whole, uh, I mean, really internalizing harm reduction is new to me, yes. Uh, define what that looks like for you. Um, I mean, understanding... Um, the, that, the disease concept that, you know, if it's a, a disease, then um, we shouldn't be um, imprisoning people for symptoms of it. Um, and uh, we shouldn't be asking people to um, not do something that they want to do. Right. Yeah, there's a, I don't know, I don't even know if this really has to do with it, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. Uh, I was reading a thing a couple of days ago. There's six sheriffs, including the sheriff of where I live, which is Greene County, that are complaining because they have incentivized parole, where they are giving people, uh, you know, attaboys and maybe incentivizing mm-hmm. them doing really well when they get out of prison. And they're upset about that. They're like, well, where are these gifts coming from and these things they're doing? You know, we shouldn't reward people for acting uh, like everyday citizens who do it for free anyway. But the truth is, you know, if you look at the harm reduction side, A, we are sitting there putting people in prison because they're not well, not because they're bad people. Right. And I think that's ridiculous to begin with, right? I, I do think that's a huge piece of harm reduction, you know, I do think that maybe we should look at decriminalizing. Yeah, people, yeah, they equate, like, um, criminality with morality. And it's, I mean, if you take the legal aspect out of it and you put drugs right up there with, um, you know, alcohol, which is legal, um, then it changes the story. Right. And I believe that there's people that can use all of it in moderation, which boggles people's mind. Yes. Yes. And there's people that can use it. You know, I, I knew weekend warriors, you know, that that lived a, a successful life and, you know, they could do it on the weekends and then go back to work. 
I, I didn't understand that, but, you know, they I, did it. I used to talk about a family uh, back when I dealt meth. And uh, they worked together running their own company, and I won't even talk about what kind of a company that it is to even come close to giving them away because it was in a little community. It was in Branson. But they had four weeks of vacation, and two of those weeks they would take their kids and go on vacation. And the other two weeks of vacation, they would take their kids, drop their kids off with the grandparents, and they would come to me. They would get an eight ball of meth, syringes. They would party for five days, sleep for two, then go pick their kids up. Yeah. And then six months later, I'd see them again when they the would come thing. to me and mm-hmm. do the same thing. And it boggled my mind. Yeah. But at the same time, they could do it. I can't. Right. You know. Right. It's kind of like alcohol. I know people that can drink in moderation. I can't. Right. And... We're and they not. should be allowed to do that if they, you know, I mean, it, it, if that's how they choose to live their life and if they can do it, then, you know, more power to them. It should be, they should be able to do that. Absolutely. And yet, you know, like alcohol, I've always said, I'm really glad heroin doesn't have the same marketing team that Budweiser does. I mean, alcohol is so socially acceptable. I can sit there and joke at work about the fact that Saturday, well, not me where I work, but, you know, back in the day when I worked at, <laughs> right. at a restaurant, I worked at restaurants for years. Yeah. Um, from being a server to a bartender to a manager. And I could sit there and joke, even as a manager, that I got blackout drunk on Saturday. <laughs> right. And we would all laugh about it and it would be absolutely no big deal. Mm-hmm. You could work at a Fortune 500 company and talk about getting blackout drunk on a weekend or drinking and driving, and I guarantee people there are going to laugh about it right. and, and joke about it. Now imagine that same scenario. I work at a Fortune 500 company, and I'm like, yeah, I shot some heroin Saturday. Right. I'll be looking for a new job. I mean, crickets. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't think there'll be crickets. <laughs> there might be a first yeah. until it gets back to yeah. my... my uh, CEO, my manager, whoever's over my team, and I'm probably going to be looking for a new job. Yeah. You know, so we have sat there and said, you know what, this this drug's okay. But if you were to look at alcohol versus other drugs, you're going to find that alcohol is traced to more violence, more mm-hmm. rapes, more shootings, right. more, you know, everything that is bad and wrong, you're going to find that alcohol is traced to more of those than drugs is. Right. And yet we have this, and, you know... Like, Chad Sabora can break it down so much better than I can. But, oh, yeah. but looking at how he talks about, you know, how we formed our drug policy. I mean, back in the day where we were going to make opium, we made opium yeah, illegal because white girls were going to smoke drug. opium and then sleep with Asians. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, so we sat there and it came out of all these racist policies. Mm-hmm. And it still continues it's still that way. to marginalize people of color and poor people. Mm-hmm. Because... If I have money and it's I get busted industry. with drugs, it's a whole industry that that uses poor poor people to support it. And even like in Colorado, uh, whenever they legalized marijuana, they said this is going to make such a difference because we are sick and tired of having people of color arrested at rates that are so far above Caucasians. Yeah. And when they legalized it, guess what happened? Right. Youth status offenses. For white people, youth status offenses dropped. But for Latinos and African Americans, it skyrocketed. Really? So it still continued to have racist well, policy right. the way it was applied. They're like, and, oh, now that we can't pick on the adults. Well, that's how it was set up. 
So of course it's going to continue that until until it changes. And the I whole system needs to change. Some of that I don't know how we change. Yeah, I don't either. And I'm still unpacking everything that that I took in at that conference. And I'm I'm new to the game. I feel late to the game, but when it made sense, it just made sense to me. Right, because there's some things I definitely would still like to see. Uh, you know, right now I just wrote like Rotor Grant where we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is to go into jail. Uh, and it'll be a pilot program, but to go go into jail and take out nonviolent homeless drug offenders. And instead of them sitting there in jail, putting them in a 12-week program that's paid for, putting them into housing that's paid for, giving them food that's paid for, and having them work with a peer over the course of those 12 weeks so they can find employment, start paying for their place mm-hmm. on their own, have a job, and fill in all those things. Because I think that's a big piece of it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, A, being around a peer for me back in the day probably would have been huge. Yeah. Because the only sober people that I knew were dead. Yeah. Um, I didn't know people that got off drugs. Yeah. I'd never met one. You know, um, until I was court ordered to go to Narcotics Anonymous, I'd never been around people in recovery. So I thought you had to die to find in, to get into recovery, and that's what I planned on anyway. Yeah. You know, I was going to die high. That's how I saw me going out. So, and this has gotten way off the I, I top. I never knew about recovery. I never knew about recovery whenever I was I was using. What, the, what I like about harm reduction is that it allows a person to be honest, and that's a big thing for me. Like, I think if people can be honest um, – that they have uh, a better chance of moving forward and and um, you know self actualizing like you know living to their highest potential um, and th- that's why I like it is that you know it it takes away the the shame and the 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 guilt like I mean my fir- my first charges are possession like I wasn't a violent offender or anything I just I had a little bit of weed and a syringe you know um and that that's following me around my whole life like you know I don't get jobs because I'm a felon and um I don't it's <coughs> it's just a whole system uh set up to uh penalize uh you know black and brown and and poor people Yeah, I turned uh, 21 in prison, and when I went into prison, I was snorting uh, methamphetamine, and I was uh, breaking into sheds and garages late at night and pawning stuff, Mm -hmm. and over the course of me being in prison for 16 months, I uh, ended up bumping into somebody who had family really close to where I lived, Mm -hmm. and I paroled out. To that community the day after I got out of prison was the first time I ever shot up within a week of getting out of prison I was selling drugs for the first time ever mm-hmm. um, and then learning how to manufacture drugs mm-hmm. and and, and having, it was because I went in there as that nonviolent drug offender and unfortunately I was put in there with some people that weren't the best of people that have been doing it for a long time mm-hmm. and because of not having an opportunity Prison, now prison, I think, does help some people. You know, I do think that there are some people that do belong in prison, too. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think we're throwing tons of people in there 
especially nonviolent drug offenders, or even if there is some violence, depending on what that violence is and what the reasons were surrounding it, right. that I, we're destroying people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I think part of harm reduction is trying to reduce some of that. Yes? Yes. You know, and I think... Uh, reduce the financial, the, the health, the, all those things that, that, um, that are using effects. And, I mean, think of, um, like, if you were able to have a source to get your, your drugs, would you have been breaking into places to, to get stuff to pawn? If I had to pay for it, I might have still been. You know, well, that's, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm know. saying. It's, it's hard to say, and that's some of the things harm reduction looks at, too. Yeah. You know, is if <coughs> we supply people... And I mean, what what if like you know, because um, I was put through nine, ten different treatment centers. I mean, and all I can think of is if somebody would have just let me be honest. Like we don't allow people to be honest. Like we don't allow them to say, "I don't want to quit using." Like they go into treatment, that's the last thing they can say. They have to put on this big act, like because because it's a legal one. They're on probation too. And we don't give them that space to say, you know, I don't want to quit using. I, I want to quit going to jail, but right. I kind of don't want to quit using. And we don't allow them that. And it just, I just wonder at like, uh, I don't know, my first one was probably in my 20s. If somebody would have allowed me to, to be open and actually talk about my, like, what I really wanted. Like, you know, I'm still having fun using. I don't want to go to jail. Um, yeah, we don't. We don't allow. We don't truly meet people where they are. Right. We say that, but we don't. And I don't know in residential treatment if we truly can meet people where they are if they still want to use. Because if you still want to use, me keeping you in residential treatment is. Well, you know, I mean, how hard is it to get into residential treatment right now? I mean, it's hard to get. You know who goes in there? People on probation and parole, they're forced to go in there, and they don't want to be there. They don't want to quit using So it takes a bed away from somebody who, who wants to get in. Even when I was there, we turned away all kinds of people on probation and parole because our big thing was, do they have Medicaid? Are they IV users? You know, those high priority. Are they pregnant postpartum? We, we save beds for uh, treatment court and probation. Yeah, we There's There's not. certain beds that are, yeah. So for us, it was more those high priority. You know, I worked at an all-women's facility, so pregnant and postpartum was up there. Mm -hmm. Then if they were IV drug user, and then if they have Medicaid or private insurance. It's really just Medicaid. Because you only have <laughs> so have many insurance. POS beds. A lot of times yeah. you might have one, maybe two POS beds, the pay on sliding scale beds. I, I would somebody. say, uh, I mean, in the treatment centers around here, I would say 85% of the people in it are on probation or just getting out of prison. See, and, and here we're forcing people into a bed, and I don't know if that's right because those beds, unfortunately, would be would better serve somebody who actually wants to be there, not somebody who's court ordered there. Right, and yeah. and we need to allow room to be to have that like open, honest conversation. Right. Like, is treatment treatment, or is it another arm of probation and parole? Is it another form of punishment? Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. What do you think? 
uh, I think it's being used as another arm of probation and parole, and it's it's um, harming people. I think it's it because it it puts you in a place where you have to put a mask on and you have to lie. Not everybody, of course. You know, nothing I say is like one size fits all. But it 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 doesn't allow an open, honest conversation because they're afraid. Right. What's it going to mean if, I mean, are they going to tell my probation officer if I say I used last weekend? Probably. So I'm going to sneak around and I'm going to try to give them, you know, right. fake urine or whatever. Yeah, because for me, I would always say I'm on a team. So if you use, I'm going to give you 24 hours to make your PO aware. And if you don't make your PO aware, then I'm going to have to. Right. <clears throat> and why is team. that? Yeah. Because I'm on a team with them. Right. You know, if you're on a team with somebody, do you expect them to keep stuff from you or do you expect to work as a team? Now, there's a lot of things I wouldn't talk about as well, a therapist. I mean, it's, it's like sanctioning, I, and I said this once, sanctioning uh, symptoms of a disease. You know, like, right. I mean, if they have a, a disorder, a disease, a substance use disorder, and using is a symptom of that. And so we're, it's like, we are saying we're going to punish, we're going to make the punishment um, worse than the actual disorder itself. Like, and it's not working. Right. It, it's not working. Yeah. Like the pun, we're not going to punish it out of people. No, I mean, in a treatment court now, if they're, they're doing better. And I think treatment court's better than the other option. Yeah. You know, I had people all the time that would sit in front of me and they're like, well, they made me go into treatment court. And I'm like, well, did they make you or did they give you two crappy options? Yeah. And you picked the least crappy of the option. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure you could have gone to prison, yeah. which was your other choice. Yeah. You know, and it sucks that those are the choices. Is that, yeah, really, it's a, a choice. I think treatment court is a, lesser of it, is a lesser of an evil. Yeah, it is. You know? And it's more, it's more compassionate for sure. But is it really a choice for, I mean, is it really a choice for a disease? Like, I mean, they're sick people. We are sick people. I know. I go back and forth on it. Once again, you know, I always joke that I'm too recovery for the Jesus people and too Jesus for the recovery people. But like I said to you when we were talking before this, uh, sometimes I feel like I'm too recovery from the harm reduction people and too harm reduction for the recovery people. Yeah. Because I go back and forth on that because I, I look at the fact well, I think all of that is included in harm reduction, like abstinence part of it. Like right. harm reduction, like covers so much more than, you know, but I mean. I, but I look at the fact that I've been to over 70 funerals in the last three and a half years. Right. And I want people to not be using because I'm sick and tired of going to funerals. And I think even if we provide it to them, we're still going to be losing those people to overdoses. Now, we may not be losing as many because we can have a more pure supply. But at the same time, if I'm giving people pure heroin, yeah. I'm going to have people that are going to die from that too. Well, yeah. You know, same thing with methamphetamine. I'm still going to have people that are going to overamp, that are, you know, going to yeah, knock but... their hypothalamus loose. I'm still going to have people that die from alcohol poisoning. We're still going to have all these issues. And right. that's where I go back and forth because I want people to be in recovery because I know if they continue to use, every time they use, they're putting themselves at risk of death. Yeah. And that's my struggle with it. You know, um, like, uh, I know in harm reduction, you're not supposed to have an end game. You know, you meet people where they're at. I'm good with that. But you're, you don't have an well, end they, game. Well, they my... have an end game. Like, I mean, yeah, you meet people actually where they are. Right. Like, they, yeah. they don't want any change. That's, that's fine. Help them find ways to, 
to be to reduce harm in their their financial sector their home life their relationships their health and that's why it says any positive change is recovery because any kind of movement towards health and wellness and and i like how it empowers people to um to do better right it gives the power back to them like it it gives them the choice yeah and i think we talked about that actually on facebook Mm -hmm. you know where i was like i see recovery more from as a whole you know because when i hear any positive change i think of myself i think of back when i was snorting and smoking drugs i shared tutors i shared uh pipes which put me at an increased risk of hep C and other things. Once I started injecting, I never once shared a needle. I didn't reuse needles because I had a, a guy that I sold drugs to that was a pharmacy tech that would just give me boxes of hundreds. So I actually stepped into recovery the minute I stopped shooting because any positive change forward. And yet I was at much higher risk for death when I started shooting than when I was injecting, I mean, than when I was smoking or snorting. Right. So when I stepped into a higher <laughs> risk of death, it... I stepped into recovery. So that's why I I kind of... Well, I don't... But you weren't thinking that. Like, you weren't... You weren't consciously thinking, I'm going to make this change um, because it's healthier or it's better for me. Like, I think it's the intention, intentionality behind it that makes it... I mean, is what I understand about it and makes it recovery because it it puts the power in the individual's hand and it's an intentional movement forward towards health wellness or less harm to the person and the people around them yeah for me i say they're making healthier choices and i know it's it's semantics yeah you know it is but like i said i guess i see recoveries at whole and i know that's where I'm to recovery for the harm reduction people. Yeah. Because of that, the way that I look at that, I'll always look at that as skewed. Because at one point we're saying, okay, it's up to that person, that individual to say whether or not they're in recovery or not. Okay, then why are you saying when they make the step that's recovery? Because they may not feel that way. Right. Well, so and that's when true. you start going to syringe access, that may not be recovery. I, I think they may not see it that way. I think it's more like the semantics are more for the people who are outside of it, you know. To understand it, like we're we're trying to understand it in a way that we can apply it in you know our everyday life with people that we meet, right? And um, by saying recovery, making reco- for me, it's making recovery a bigger umbrella. Yeah. And it and it it empowers the whole substance use disorder community. So it empowers the people who are in active long term recovery, and it empowers the the people who are actively in substance use. I like the idea of um, the chaotic use compared to the substance use. So um, it brings a little more control to the use and it, it gives a little more control to the person if that's how they choose to to yeah. see it or understand it. Yeah, because to me, my my use was always chaotic. I don't right. Even when I had a full time job, my use. I mean, I worked. You never had somebody um, talking to you about your use because it was something we all kept very private, and you know, we didn't talk. Everybody knew that we used, right. of course, but we didn't talk openly about it. Okay, I mean, I couldn't even give voice to mine 
my, um, like I never knew I had a problem until I, I got pregnant and I couldn't stop. And right. I was that person who was like, I would see women who were pregnant using, and I was like, I would never do that. They're t- awful, terrible. And I <coughs> could not stop using. And that's whenever I realized it was something out of my control. And that right. was the beginning. That, for me, was the beginning of my recovery. That epiphany of this is out of my control. Yeah, I just, I don't know. And I think that there's probably a lot of people that listen to this that are on both sides of that fence. You know, I think of the parent who's sitting there worried every single night that their kid's going to be dead. Well, I mean, and when if you're like, man, your kid's doing so much better. Really? How? Oh, well, they started uh, going to a syringe access and shifting injection sites. There's not a lot of parents that are going to be very happy about that. They're like, wait a minute. So you're still encouraging my kid to use. Well, it's no, not, I'm not encouraging right. your kid to use, but, you know. Right. And, and I it- think... I think sometimes parents aren't wanting to continue waiting up by the phone every single night for that call. So they may not see that as positive. Now, of course, there's parents that have lost their kids to sepsis and other things like that that are like, oh, my gosh, that's huge. Right. So I think it depends on the parent. It just, ah, there's so many sides to this. Mm -hmm. You know. I I would think um, a parent, if you could could frame it in... That, you know, yes, your kid's still using, but your, your, your child is starting to look at his substance use disorder and making changes so that he causes himself less harm. And it, it's a positive step forward. Now, you know, where he goes with that, right. we don't know, but it gives, it gives the individual, the, it empowers them to take steps forward. I just, uh, yeah, the way I see harm reduction for me, you know, it is uh, meeting people where they're at, helping them make healthier choices so that they can stay healthy and alive long enough to step into recovery. So I have an end game, even if I'm meeting people where they're at. And once again, I'm told that's not harm reduction because I have an end game for people. But you know, for me, I see through my lens and the lens of a lot of people I'm around. Yeah. And when I look at even the people I know that are going to syringe access uh, versus the people that I know in recovery, I see a lot more hope and a lot less depression in the people that are in recovery, not the people oh, that are well, still actively using. Well, you know? yeah. It's like, because um, they're actively using. Like, yeah. they're they're cut off from, for, for me, they're cut off from a source. And, and of course that's going to manifest in their life as depression and, you know, and, and they're also, I mean, they're just surviving, right. you know, because most people that use consistently, there's a reason for that use. Right. So, you know, and I guess that's the one thing I like about harm reduction is meeting somebody where they're at. They may come back to you whenever that depression kicks in, that trauma kicks in so that you can either meet them or uh, refer them to people that can help with that. Because at the end of the day, I think most of us use because there's underlying issues oh, and until sure. we address those underlying issues. Right, for sure. And I don't think you can do that while you're you're still actively using. Well, or maybe you can. I don't know. That's why I like harm reduction is because it's such a huge umbrella. Like it it empowers the whole substance use disorder community. That's what I like about it. That it it allows room for everybody. And I mean, and harm reduction's like a, it's you know, it's the new fifty cent word or something, and um, and and people aren't 
internalizing like the true model of it, which is it's it's not asking anything of the person. Right. And it's not. It doesn't have an end goal. Well, and it's been around for, you know, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm totally late to the game. Like, yeah. It, but. Um, like Dan Biggs was really, I think, one of the people that really helped kick it off. And uh, he's the, the one who said any positive change forward. Yeah. yeah. So it's been around for a while. There's all kinds of people that are doing amazing things. I mean, in bigger cities, yeah, it's been around for a while because they, I mean, you know, I. I can't even imagine. I was thinking about um, Monet having the the ambulance, and I was thinking how cool that was. And then I stopped and I thought, and I was like, man, that sucks that they have to have something like that. Like wound care, like they, that sucks that there is such a need right. that they do that. Yeah, and, you know, that's something we've looked at. If they pass syringe access, which I have been a huge supporter of, We'll probably end up doing either a pop-up somewhere or a mobile unit in Springfield um, just because of the way my recovery community center operates. Mm-hmm. I want them separate. Yeah. You know, and I've also been told that's because I don't support multiple pathways. So that's always really funny yeah. to me. But uh, but a lot everything I do there is family friendly. You yeah, know, and, and I, I bring I, my kids to everything I do. I think there. whatever you feel is you're comfortable with yeah. is what should happen, like for sure. Yeah, and you know, while well, one side is saying, "Well, you need to support us, and you need to understand where we're coming from," I think you could I think do it both. Needs to happen both ways. Yeah, I think you, you know? could do both. Because literally, I mean, some of the conversations that I had with a couple of people I was in Vegas, yeah, um, at the mobilized recovery thing. Uh, was literally like, well, you don't support it because you're going to do this. And I'm like, but if I'm doing that, I am supporting it. Right. I just am shifting it somewhere else. Yeah. I think we're all on the same team. It's just, you know. uh, It's semantics. Yeah. We need to stop telling, you know, each other, each side's wrong. Like, and I did that. I remember, you know, seeing things on Facebook and arguing with the person and I feel like a dumbass now like because I I get where they're coming from like I I understand it and we are in Cape starting to uh we're going to do our first harm reduction meeting and um and I hope to educate people on it and I hope to change the paradigm of how we see substance use disorder yeah it's hard to wrap your head around you know I think on both sides it is you know but when you get it you do trust me because, you know, I the bell mean, goes off. Because this treatment, I'm always going to want, I'm always going to be a firm believer, even though I no longer do treatment. That's what I did for the majority of my time in recovery. Yeah. And I'm always going to see that end goal. Yeah. You know, that's always going to be what I focus on. But um, even when I meet people where they're at, even when I'm sitting there telling people, you know, teaching people how to use Narcan or Rescue Breathe and, and saying, hey, you know what, don't ever use behind a locked door, don't ever use all by yourself, you know, uh, you know, don't make sure you're getting uh, fresh syringes, make sure you're not sharing them, rotate injection sites, if you get a new batch, give yourself a taste. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're using with somebody and you're always going to use with somebody, stagger your use. You know, right. I'm always going to talk to people about that and meet them where they're at. But I still in my head, I'm doing that because I know how amazing recovery is. And I hope that someday that person lives 
to find recovery because dead people never find recovery. Right. So, you know? I mean, just focus on, on getting them to live, you know, like stay alive. Right. Like, and they may never, I mean, cause there's millions of people that never get to recovery. And if we could help those millions of people feel just a little bit better about their life and stay alive, then, you know, yeah, that's good stuff. And I think I get hung up on words and people on the other side get hung up on words too. And because of that, I think sometimes we are clashing heads when Mm -hmm. in all honesty, there doesn't need to be a clash. No. Each of us needs to give a little bit and it seems like neither side is willing to give. Yeah. You know, and I think sometimes that can be the problem and because of that, I'm probably always going to walk a fence where I hack off half the recovery people and I hack off half the harm reduction people. Yeah. Um, and I will continue to walk on that fence, you know, and you'll continue to grow the way you grow too. Right. You know, and what I love is we can, because we butted heads a little bit on some of that too. Mm-hmm. And yet we can sit here and have a rational discussion and walk away saying, you know what? I know that she knows where I'm coming from. She may not agree with it 100%. But there's that realization. I'm sure you walk away going, well, you know, if it wasn't for that word right there, you know, or whatever that thing is. And and I think, I mean, you know, you're you're good at what you do. You're, you know, you're awesome at what you do. And I think there's people out there that are awesome at harm reduction, like the model. Right. And and I think that, you know, you guys are, are put here to serve different people, different um, populations. Of people I just think of all the money that was wasted whenever I was forced into treatment right. <laughs> you know yeah. like really and if somebody would have just sat down or I'm just loved me right you know like didn't want me to change in any way shape or form just you know I really just love you and want you to live this is why you should do it like this but I'm not gonna I mean it doesn't matter to me whether you do right. or not like I'm still solid with you but i think unless we have a complete overhaul oh my gosh oh yeah none of that's ever going to happen and i don't know if we'll ever have a complete overhaul no i i mean and yeah the first thing that needs honestly that needs to happen is they need to decriminalize all drugs and um because it's it's and then i think people would be able to see it for what it is because if you look at people who drink alcohol, you know, um, I mean, people may know that they're a drunk or, but if they were like, oh, they, he's cutting back, you know, he's trying to do better. They'd be like, you know, supporting them. Yeah. And and they even support them when they're not cutting back though. Yeah. You know, I mean, how often, uh, I remember it being a joke back in the day and I was an adult, you know, and I remember, uh, you know, Facebook, you used to have your favorite quotes, and one of my friends had literally put up there a quote from me because uh, that was on her list of favorite quotes of all time because she'd asked me, man, how did she get home last night? You were too drunk to walk. And I was like, yeah, that's why I drove. Ah, that was a big joke. How many people's lives did I put at risk when I got behind the wheel right. of that car, and yet everybody thought it was it's a joke? It's a joke, yeah. You know, um, and yet because it's look accept- at other- acceptable. Yeah, and yet we look at other drugs where we would put people at less risk, mm-hmm. and yet we still have this animosity. Those people deserve to go to prison for the rest of their lives. Right. Says so somebody what? who's sitting there pounding a 12-pack right. of Pabst Blue Ribbon. And that's the whole paradigm shift that has to happen. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen with people in the substance use disorder community. It's we, just going to take a while. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm hoping like my grandkids will you know, be able to reap the rewards of what we're doing now. 
Yeah, maybe even our kids. I mean, I think that as the old okay boomer school goes away, <laughs> you know. But seriously, and I'm not quite that old. Yeah, uh, I'm not that old. So how old are you? Uh, I'm <laughs> 47. Joke. I was born in 72, and I think the boomers were like late 60s. As yeah, well. we're Generation X. So. I was born in 74. So yeah, but you know, I do think that as the old guard goes out, I think that there's a lot of people in our generation. Not as many as I'd like, but I think the the generations ahead of us too, where we may be that last one. So you're right. Maybe it will be your grandkids. Yeah. You know that that really get to reap the benefits mm-hmm. because there's still a lot of those old antiquated beliefs that that don't look at evidence based practices and don't look at research, but instead look at anecdotal experiences. Yeah. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it's hard not to. I'm like, I sit there and I think sometimes, and I'm like, man, if they would have given me my drugs and syringes and I could have done them legally would I have ever stopped yeah I'm sure because why did you stop was it prison no 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 not at all neither Um, was mine probation didn't make me stop it wasn't even a rock bottom yeah you know for me it was uh after multiple rock bottoms, you know, and I think we all do the same thing. We hit that bottom and then we grab a shovel and dig. Yeah. So it happened more on as I was going up a hill than at a bottom, which yeah. is weird. You know, but once again, I think we all have different pathways into recovery. You know, um, but I, at that time I'd stopped doing drugs because drugs were illegal and because of the way everybody looked at me. Yeah. I didn't want people to continue to look at me that way. So if everybody was more accepting of my drug use... You know, so I don't know. And you can never say. No. But what I can say is research shows that, like, communities that have a syringe access, according to the U.S. Surgeon General's report, get people into treatment three to five times faster than communities that don't have a syringe access. I'm glad you know that stuff. See, I don't know that stuff off the top of my head. I'm I'm still new to the game. But, yeah. yeah. And I and I get that because because they're they're going around people who are who are caring and and I mean how many people are using and they want to quit and they just don't know how and if they're going into a place where they're around those resources all the time then I mean they're going to go in there one day and it's going to be that day that they want to quit and they're like okay what do I need to do and they're going to do right. it right and a lot of times they're engaging with people that would never step foot in treatment. Mm-hmm. You know, or they've been to treatment. Literally, I didn't like treatment, and treatment was never successful for me. A, I wasn't in there for myself. I was in there for somebody else. Mm-hmm. But also, everybody in there had a plan for me and what I needed to do. And telling me what to do was not a good way to get me to do anything. Same right. thing for most of us. Right. You know, so I think that's why that works so well, mm-hmm. is you have somebody that, you know, meets you where you're at and is like, listen, I care about you. I don't want you to get HIV or Hep C. If you already have it. Man, I don't want you to give it to the people you care about. Yeah. So bring your used syringes in here. We'll give you sterile syringes. And if you ever need help with anything else, you know, food, employment, housing, maybe you decide you want to stop using, come back here. We'll do anything we can to help you. In fact, what are you doing tomorrow? Because if you come by here at noon, we'll feed you lunch and you can get checked for hep C for free. Right. You know, I mean, all of a sudden you have somebody that's meeting with compassion. They're visible. Like, yeah. I mean, how how long did I walk around being invisible out in the world? Yeah. So it's it's people seeing them. Like there is something so powerful about just human connection. That's that's what it is. It's just connecting with another human and on a on a 
very base human level. I like what Chad says. Chad says, uh, in one of his interviews, he was talking about syringe access. And he said, you know, he said, it's not about the needle. It's about the human connection. Yeah. I really like that that quote. And I think with syringe access, the whole, the uh, decriminalizing uh, syringes is very important. Like those two should be together. And I think that's really awesome that they are, they're making that happen. We'll see. Yeah, well, I, I think some bills have been written, and they're going to be introduced. They have. I mean, they, yeah, they've been written every be year for the past, I five think, years. Se- is it five? I thought it was like seven. Oh, maybe. But I know I know the last two years it's passed through the House and got stalled in the Senate. So if you live in the state of Missouri, please yes. contact your senators and talk to them about the importance of syringe access. Uh, if you don't know what to say, contact me, contact... Uh, Mo Network, contact Better Life and Recovery, contact uh, Chad Saboro, Robert O'Reilly, uh, you know, but contact somebody that, that has information and can give you data. Yeah. Um, contact Christy. Yeah. You know, I'm and, sure that she can get you that data too. And if we don't have the answers, we can connect you to somebody that does. For sure. Definitely. So I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what we need to look at is... Uh, and stay tuned because their bills are being introduced and we will need to stand up and make calls and, um, you know, talk to our legislators. Like, it's very, very important. Like, nothing about us without us. Right. And, you know, I, I think that that's one thing that will get our legislators motivated is the more people when they know that they have tons of constituents that may not vote for them if they don't support this right it's going to get us a lot further yeah so you know some of the state some of you states out there are very fortunate to already have these um missouri is not one of those states but man we're pushing yeah you know and and i would go so far as to say that it's our responsibility for uh, getting out alive to go back and make sure that other people are safe Absolutely. So as we wind down this episode, I know it's not a place to wind down, but man, it's a time to wind down. Um, any closing thoughts on harm reduction that you want our listeners to hear? Um, I mean, it, like I've said a couple of times, I'm, I'm so new to it and, um, and I'm, I'm internalizing it to where, uh, to where I'm going to be able to go out and practice it and really understand it. Uh, I'm reading lots of articles, and um, and that's why we're doing uh, harm reduction works meeting because I don't necessarily get it all either, and and I want other people to um, to at least take it in and think about it. Um, and abstinence doesn't always have to be the end goal. I mean, it 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 doesn't always work for people. So uh, let's. Let's make that, it can be an end goal, but it doesn't have to be the only end goal. And I will leave it that. So okay. thank you once again for joining us, Christy. I appreciate your time. Thank you, David. And I look forward to talking to you a year or two from now after you have immersed yourself into harm reduction. <laughs> um, so you can come on here and school me about it. Because, you know, I, I, I'm definitely, I think we all need to be open to having conversations with people and learning more about 
all the different aspects that surround substance use disorder. Yeah. You know, from harm reduction to recovery to prevention to treatment to the criminal justice side of it to the mental health side of it and everything in between. Yeah. So thank you very much for your time. I appreciate your passion. And I'm glad that you're picking up the torch for harm reduction because there's not enough people in our state that are supporting and pushing. Yeah. So thanks a lot. Thanks, David. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. There's the Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can, uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week. Hey, Studio DNA fans. I'm Chad, a new podcast host here on the network. I'd like to invite you to check out my new show called Hot Takeout, where I mix together some of my favorite things, fast food and musical artists. When you listen, you'll get that feeling you have when you get an onion ring in the bottom of your french fries. It's a win. We'll dig deep with the artist. We'll find out what inspires them and what foods they have to stay away from. And we're also playing fast food games, which will also make sense when you listen. So check out the Hot Takeout podcast streaming right now here on the Studio DNA podcast network.